Well, in Psalm 116, verse 12, the psalmist asked the question, What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits toward me? And then he answers, I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all His people. Famous pastor and Bible teacher Matthew Henry was robbed on his way to a meeting. The next day, he wrote of his experience in his diary. Let me be thankful. First, because I was never robbed before. Second, because although they took my wallet, they did not take my life. Third, because although they took my all, it was not much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed, not I who robbed. Now, how's that for looking on the bright side? No matter how grim and gloomy your circumstances might be today, if you look hard enough, you'll have something for which you can be thankful. It's been said, if we pause to think, we'll have cause to thank. As a matter of fact, if you're having trouble this morning finding reasons for which to be grateful, here are a few suggestions. If you can't pay your bills... Well, you can be thankful you're not one of your creditors. (laughs) You can be thankful only you and God have all the facts about yourself. That's right. Even though you haven't gotten all you want, be thankful you haven't gotten what you deserve. If you can't be thankful for what you've received, at least be thankful for what you've escaped. And lastly... We all should be thankful for many blinds. If it weren't for them, it'd be curtains for all of us. Once there was a teacher, she asked her fourth grade students to name one thing for which they were thankful. Most of the kids listed their pets or their parents or their possessions. But one little boy responded, I'm thankful for my glasses. They keep me out of a lot of trouble. The teacher was perplexed. She asked the little guy, well, how do your glasses keep you out of trouble? The little boy told her, they keep the boys from beating me up and the girls from kissing me. (laughs) We all should have an attitude of gratitude. And this is especially for us if we are Americans. If you've traveled abroad, you realize that what most Americans scrape off their plate after the meal and send down the garbage disposal would be considered by three-fifths of the world a feast fit for a king. When President Coolidge issued his Thanksgiving Day proclamation, he said, We have been a most favored people. We ought to be a most thankful people. We live in a country that has been blessed abundantly by God. Americans have much for which to be thankful. And if that's true for Americans, it is especially true for Christians. For of all the people in the world, none should be more thankful than those of us who follow Jesus. Folks who have tasted of God's wonderful grace. Did you know the term gratitude is from the root word grace? Gratitude is our response to amazing grace. As God has been gracious to us, we then should be grateful to Him. Think of all that God has done for us. He spared not His only Son. He's given us life, new and never-ending, full and free 
holy and happy. Add to that a complete pardon, the new birth, abounding love, a steadying peace, the presence of the Holy Spirit, a supernatural strength, special callings and gifts, brothers and sisters in Christ, even a home in heaven. With all that God has done for us, the least we can do is to be thankful. Bible commentator William Hislop once wrote, To save such a sinner as I, God shall never hear the end of it. That should be our sentiments as well. My mom believed in writing thank you notes. We would get a gift and we would be expected to write a thank you. I know this will be a surprise to her, but I hated it. I hated writing thank you notes. I'd rather be outside playing football or riding my bike. Most of the time I'd already said thanks anyway. I figured that was enough, but not for my mom. She believed you weren't really thankful to someone unless you had taken the time and made the effort to express your gratitude to that person in a tangible way. If I ask you this morning, are you thankful to God for all that He's done for you? Oh, I'm sure that 99% of you would say, of course I'm thankful. Who isn't thankful? God is so good. But are you thankful enough to express that thanks? I heard the courageous but tragic story of Edward Spencer. Ned was a Bible college student strolling along the shores of Lake Michigan one day when he saw a boat full of passengers sinking in the cold, choppy waters. With no consideration for his own safety, Ned bravely dove into the icy water. He swam out into the lake and back to the shore a total of 16 times, rescuing 17 people. After everyone was safe, Ned collapsed from exhaustion on the bank. He never fully recovered from his heroic ordeal. Complications set in that stunted his health and kept Ned from pursuing full-time ministry. But to make matters worse, not one of the 17 people Ned Spencer plucked from Lake Michigan that day ever found him to say thanks. Now I'm sure if you had tracked down each person, they would have said they were truly grateful to Ned. But no one had bothered to actually express their gratitude to Ned personally. Hey, Jesus has made a far greater sacrifice for you and me than Ned Spencer did rescuing those people from the lake. Jesus has rescued us from eternal damnation. But have we taken the time, have we made the effort to say thanks to Him? In Luke chapter 17, Jesus entered a certain village, and He met ten lepers crying out for mercy. He healed all ten lepers. And as soon as He did, they raced off to the priest to be pronounced clean, to begin a new life. Only one of the former lepers returned to Jesus to say thanks for the miracle. And that's when Jesus asked, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Today, millions the world over have been recipients of the grace and mercy of Jesus. But we can still hear Him ask, Did I not heal Jim and Jenny? Save Andy and Ashley? Comfort Bob and Becky? But where are they? And here's my question for us today. Are we among the nine? Nowhere to be found? Or are you and I among the few who've taken the time to say thanks to God? On the bus one day, a man gave up his seat for a woman. 
His act of courtesy so shocked the lady that she fainted. She wasn't used to kind and gracious men. But when the lady was revived, she thanked the man for his kindness. Her gratitude so shocked him, he fainted. Neither the man nor the woman were used to gracious and grateful people and were shocked by their expressions. I wonder today if God would be shocked if we stopped our complaining about our spouse and our job and our kids and our neighbors and our provisions and simply took some time and made the effort to say thanks to God for all of the blessings that He has lavished upon us. I wonder if he'd be shocked. Well, in Psalm 116, the psalmist tells us how to say thanks to God. Verse 12 asks, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits towards me? In other words, what does God prefer in the way of a thank you? Does God want a thank you note? A card? Some flowers, perhaps? How do you show the Almighty God that you're thankful for all his benefits? Well, if I'm going to spend some time and make the effort of expressing my thanks, then surely I want to express my gratitude in a way that's going to please the Lord. Well, this morning's text supplies us three ways to say thanks to God. First, he tells us to take up the cup of salvation. Second, to call upon the name of the Lord. And then third, to pay our vows to the Lord now in the presence of all His people. This morning, let's take a closer look at Psalm 116 and learn how to say thanks to God. Well, to me, verse 13 offers a truly strange means of expressing thanks. Notice the psalmist's answer. I will take up the cup of salvation, but recall the question. What shall I render or give to God for all His benefits? Here he tells us to give... By instructing us to take. I give to God by taking from God? It really does sound strange until I think it through. For what can I really give to God that He doesn't already possess? God is the one person on the earth who really does need nothing. There are folks on my Christmas list who are difficult to buy for because they already have everything I can afford to give them. And this is true with God. In Acts 17, Paul said to the Athenians, God who made the world and everything in it, since He is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is He worshipped with men's hands as though He needed anything. The one true God is in need of nada. He possesses all things. Psalm 50 says that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Our scrawny sacrifices don't impress him. I was at a Christmas party once when someone suggested we go around the room and share what we intended to give to God that year for Christmas. Well, most of us talked of giving God more of our time or our money or our energy. Then came my friend's turn. He shocked a group by announcing that he had nothing to give to God. When someone asked him why, he said, because God already owns everything I've got. Realize true gratitude begins with a frustration. God has given me so much, yet there's nothing that I can give to Him. 
You see, all that I can do is to take what He's given me and allow it to accomplish its intended purpose in my life. We thank God for His many blessings when we enjoy them to the fullest. If you want to say thanks to God, then take up the goblet of grace, the mug of mercy, put it to your parched lips, and take a deep, long drink. The cup of salvation brims with blessing. It's heavy with heaven. David was speaking of the cup in the shepherd's psalm, Psalm 23. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You and I, if we want to say thanks to God, we need to savor every single drop of God's blessing. We say thanks to God by taking advantage of His many and marvelous gifts. Think of it. God journeyed from the heights of heaven to the depths of this earth, from the crib to the cross, from a cold, dark tomb to the throne in heaven, just to bring us blessings untold. The least we can do is open up our hearts and receive His goodness toward us. Try to compensate God for His gifts, and you only devalue them. If you could earn God's blessings, it would cheapen the price that God paid to acquire them. As the poet put it, the best return for one like me, so wretched to the core, is from God's gifts to draw a plea and ask Him still for more. If you want to thank God for His grace, then ask Him for more. Turn up the cup of salvation and keep asking. My grandma was a southern gourmet. Grandma Adams could whip up a scrumptious meal in the blink of an eye. Black-eyed peas, cornbread, hot buttered grits, collard greens, fried okra, biscuits and gravy, fried chicken, all the extras. If you're not a native southerner, that menu might not impress you. But trust me, if you could have sampled some of my grandma's cooking, you would be an admirer. She was amazing. Whenever a visitor came to her house, no matter the time of day, she'd start dinner and she'd invite you to her table. Before you knew it, she had served up a banquet fit for a king. And she'd take nothing for it. If you tried to pay her, she'd be insulted. The only way for you to say thanks to my grandma was to clean your plate. My grandma's reward for cooking was the joy of seeing someone scarf up her vittles and come roaring back for more. The greatest insult would be to nibble a bit, then push your plate aside as if you didn't like it. And that's the way it is with God's blessing. When we clean our plate and ask for more, we say thanks to God. But when we don't have time to eat, or when we fill up on other stuff, that's when we break God's heart. We insult God when we consume junk food and feed on the garbage of this world and don't bring our appetites to His table. Here's a quote. This is the height of all madness. This is the lowest depth of all sin. God spares not His own Son, and we stand with our hands folded on our chest. You say thanks to God by reaching out and grabbing hold of every single blessing God has for you. Don't waste God's grace. Turn up the cup of salvation and savor every drop. Well, here's a second way to say thanks to God. 
Notice again verse 13. We're told to call upon the name of the Lord. When trouble strikes, when a need arises, we, thanks, we say thanks to God by calling on Him for help. Now again, this sounds like a selfish way to express our thanks. You'd think that we would do for God rather than ask Him to do for us. But again, what can we really do for God that He can't do a better job of Himself? When a dad involves his toddler in a project, he's not doing it because he needs the kid's help. If anything, his child is going to slow him down, maybe get in his way. No, dad gets the toddler to help him because he enjoys the child's company. Or maybe he wants to use the task to teach his child a lesson. And this is why God involves us in his work. God doesn't need you or need me. When we serve God, we're not doing God a favor. He's doing us a favor. We say thanks to God, not by helping Him, but by asking Him to help us. You know, when my kids were younger and got into trouble, they didn't search the yellow pages for the nearest Ph.D. They didn't canvas the universities in the area for an expert in the field. They didn't even dial 911. When they had a problem, they called DAD. They ran to dad. They expected me to take over the situation and salvage a solution. And I wouldn't have had it any other way. Nothing flatters a father more than when his child instinctively turns to him for help. And the same is true with God. If you really want to say thanks to God, make him your first retreat in times of trouble, not your last resort. I mean, here's another illustration. What if you found a mechanic who did good work? The mechanic's fair, he's honest, he's efficient. How would you say thanks to your automobile mechanic? Send him a thank you note? A pick-me-up bouquet? No way! Try that with a macho mechanic and he might just punch you in the nose. With that mechanic, what he wants most is your return business. The next time your car breaks down, if you look up another mechanic, he'll assume you weren't satisfied with his service. But if he's the first person you call with your car, that mechanic knows that you appreciate his work. Hey, when you're sick, what's your first reaction? Take an aspirin? Call the doctor? Or do you pray? Do you seek God for his intervention? When you're lonely, what's your first response? Call a friend? Take in a movie? Visit a bar? Or do you open up your Bible and renew your fellowship with God? When business dips, what's your first remedy? Increase marketing. We might need to downsize. Oh, hire a consultant. Or do you pray and trust God for His blessing? And when you're tired and weary, where do you seek rest? Do you turn the TV on and veg out? Or go on vacation? Or do you ask God for His peace? The psalmist tells us that we say thanks to God by calling on the name of the Lord. For many years when my kids worked their way through college, I proofread their English composition papers. First it was Natalie, then it was Nick, then it was Mac. Well, the kids figured out that it was nice to have an author in the family who could review their papers before they turned them in. And so they would usually email me the paper 
about 10 o'clock the night before the paper was due the next morning. And I would usually mumble something like, what do these kids expect me to do? Drop every, everything at a moment's notice and help them? That's what I said. But that's not how I felt. I was glad they wanted my help. In fact, I would have been insulted if they'd ever stopped. The only time reviewing those composition papers bothered me was when we got back a C. I'd get angry at the teacher that I'd made a C on that paper. But when my kids ran to me for help, I felt loved and trusted and appreciated. I'm glad they wanted my input. And this is how God feels when we call on Him. Did you hear about the couple who got married at the travel agency? Travel agency, no less. As it turns out, she was looking for a getaway, and he was her last resort. Is the Lord your last resort, or is He your first retreat? You say thanks to God by calling on the name of the Lord. And then the third way the psalmist tells us that you and I can say thanks to God is to pay our vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people. The writer of Psalm 116 was so thankful to God that he took his lamb, the pick of the litter, and he paraded it through the streets of Jerusalem to sacrifice it to God. Without regard to the opinions of other people, simply overwhelmed with his love and enthusiasm for God, the psalmist would take that lamb up to the temple and offer his sacrifice openly and publicly before the community. And if we are truly thankful to God, we also will go public with our praise. Jesus told us that when we pray, we need to go into our closet and close the door behind us. Prayer is a private act. But when it comes to praise, we need to roll down our windows. Whisper your prayers, but shout out your praise so all can hear. Psalm 107 verse 2 says it clearly. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We live in a day when every blasphemous, godless, evil imaginable is getting drug out into the light of day. Gets paraded across our TV screens. People flaunt their sacrilege. They spew their irreverence. There is no shame today. Well, it's about time for those of us who are grateful to God to grow just as bold and just as vocal. Let's stop acting as if we're ashamed of God. Let's go out into the marketplace and let the world know that our success is due to His blessing. Praise and thanksgiving needs to go public. I've never known much about cars. While other boys had their head under the hood, tinkering on the engine, I was off somewhere dribbling a basketball or throwing a football or something. I know where to insert the key and I'm acquainted with the gas pedal. But that's about the extent of my mechanical prowess. When it comes to automobiles, I'm really pretty ignorant. But understand a vital point. Even though I might be ignorant, that doesn't mean I like to admit it. I mean, engines and grease, this is macho stuff. A man needs to know his way around the engine block. No self-respecting man wants to be known as mechanically illiterate. I'll never forget the day I was exposed. I was completely humiliated. Right after Kathy and I had gotten married, we made a trip to North Lake Mall. 
We were just about to leave when my car wouldn't start. And so I popped the hood. Now, don't misunderstand. I wasn't going to fix anything. I mean, I just heard somewhere that that's what you do when you got engine problems. You pop the hood. But then a horrible thing happened. Two guys walked over to give me a hand. I couldn't let them know how inept I was. And so I grabbed a screwdriver and I started fiddling around. You know, hitting on stuff, pretending I knew what I was doing. I didn't think it could get any worse. But it did. For right there, my wife, she gets out of the car, and right in front of these two grown men, she takes the screwdriver from me, and she plays Mrs. Goodwrench. In broad daylight, she proceeds to fix my car. I was humiliated. My wife knew more about cars than I did, and two other men had now seen the evidence. I should have been thankful. In fact, later that night, I thanked Kathy privately. But publicly, at that moment, I was so embarrassed. And this is the problem that some people have in their relationship with God. Privately, they'll thank God. But publicly, they would rather everyone think they did it themselves. Humans don't like broadcasting to others their ineptitude and their dependence. Why is that? Why is it so hard to admit our weaknesses? None of us are truly independent and self-sufficient people. There is no such thing as a self-made man or a self-made woman. Did you know you're in debt the moment you enter this world? On the day you were born, you already owed somebody nine months room and board. Psalm 100 verse 3 tells us that we all owe God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We depend on God for the air we breathe and for our next breath. Why is it so hard for us to be honest about our dependence on God? To go public with our praise. I'll tell you our problem. It's pride. Pride slays thanksgiving. A proud person hates to say thanks. If he or she does, it shatters the illusion that they're in control. Gratitude is the admission that I have a need that I can't meet. And we've all got those needs. Who's fooling who? It's so freeing to drop the facade and just be grateful. The tribes of East Africa, they have an unusual way to say thanks. The Maasai tribe of Kenya, they will bow their heads to the ground and they will say, my head is in the dirt. Members from another tribe will sit on the ground for a long time before the hut of a person whom the, for which they're very thankful. They'll say, I sit on the ground before you. These Africans understand a truth that makes gratitude so difficult for us. They realize that true thanksgiving is first and foremost an act of humility. The psalmist contends that we're not really grateful to God unless we're willing to lay aside our pride and go public with our praise. True thanksgiving won't be intimidated by the sneers or slights or scowls of other people. It will still rise up even when it might be looked down on. Robert Walpole was Britain's first prime minister. But his administration fell because he was betrayed by former friends who voted him out of office. 
Walpole sat in the House of Commons the day its members cast the vote to bring down his government. And one by one, his political foes stepped up to cast their votes. As each man passed, Walpole made comments to the reporters around him. He said, that fellow, I saved him from the gallows. That one, I saved him from starvation. Well, I promoted that man's son to an office in my government. And on and on he went with similar stories. Each parliament member who voted against Walpole that day had a reason to be thankful to him. But rather than express their gratitude, they buckled under to the political pressures that were being applied at the time. In other words, they lacked the courage to say thanks. When it comes to our relationship with God, don't ever let it be said that we buckled under to political pressures. That we cowered away from giving our great God credit for what He had done. It takes guts to be grateful. It takes guts to show gratitude. Don't just praise God in the safety of your church or in the quiet of your home. Be courageous and go public with your thanksgiving and your praise. I want to close this morning with a story of a man who found the barn where Satan kept his seeds. There were seeds of discouragement and doubt and fear and lust and greed and guilt. It frightened this man to hear Satan boast of how his seeds would take root and grow in almost any type of soil. The man questioned him, Are you sure they'll grow in any soil? Satan backtracked a bit. He reluctantly had to admit Well, there is one place where I can never seem to get them to grow, and that's in the heart of a grateful person. Oh, how we need to be thankful people. And how do you say thanks to God for all His benefits toward us? The psalmist speaks of three ways. Take up the cup of salvation. Enjoy every single blessing that the blood of Jesus has purchased for you. Call upon the name of the Lord. In times of trouble, run to your heavenly Father for help and pay your vows now to the Lord in the presence of all His people. Go public with your praise and do it in Jesus' name. Amen.